Okay. Well, before I get into my notes, why don't we stand? And Dawn's going to read. We're going to start with Ephesians 3. of all of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefits of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promises of, of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he generously gave, gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. And one more. Mm -hmm. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in his rich variety to all unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose any heart of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. And this is our the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Don. Thank you very much. Um, I want to share with y'all a resource that I happened upon. You know, let me just say, when you find yourself in my position, you need all the grace that you can get. And God is just so faithful to put things in front of me at just the right time that has to do with um, teaching this class. And I'm so grateful. It's not, I don't go looking for it, but it's like these things. And I'm sure that with, when you are in a situation that you're needing something, if you have eyes to see, God's going to give you the grace to um, put things into your path and reveal things to you that for that will help you. Anyway, this came to me over the weekend, actually, um, through a friend. We were talking, and she mentioned this guy, and I looked him up, and I'm like, oh, he has a book on Ephesians. It looks really good. So I Googled it, and, and it's a whole sermon series, and he's connected to Bridgetown, and Tyler Staten has preached at his church, and They've shared pulpits, and I'm just like, oh, well, that that's it for me, you know, because I, I know who he is. 
anyway, I took a walk on Saturday and listened to the sermon and got online and ordered the book. And this is basically just his sermon series on Ephesians um, in a book form. And it's just on YouTube. So if you want to listen to the sermon series, like he goes deep, 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 deep. And it's really good. He's a good communicator. His name's Daryl Johnson. So anyway, if you Google Ephesians, uh, Daryl Johnson on YouTube, you can find them and they're fantastic. So it's just a free resource if you want to um, add to your own study and kind of go deeper. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow kind of a framework that he used for this particular passage. And we're going to look at the identity of Paul and the way that um, this passage kind of looks at five different um, ways that identities that Paul took on just as a way of kind of giving us some structure for it. Um, and it's going to be really good because those identities can become our identities too. So I think it's you're going to come away at the end of the evening with something that you can hang on to and kind of apply real practically to your life. At least I have for sure. So before we get in to verse one, I want us uh, to look back at um, chapter two that Anthony unpacked for us so nicely last week. Uh, the very last verse, uh, 222, he was kind of talking uh, 21 and 22, he was saying that together we become what? We are joined together as a holy temple. And um, the body, our body, that the body of Christ and our individual bodies are the temple, which is the dwelling place for the presence of God. So Christ is in us because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us because of Christ and that's the presence of God. So we have this living, breathing relationship with a, a three-in-one, a triune God. Um, someone look up 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 real quick for me. You got it, Nate? I, was that your hand raise? I don't know if you auction, an auction. I'm not a good auctioneer. <laughs> okay. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 just kind of... Um, kind of speaks to this. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Okay. So that is like the thought that continues in verse 1. I always like to kind of tie it like... Okay, let's add a link back to what we're talking about instead of just like kind of being in free-floating air when we get started on the first verse. So he's talking about how um, they were formed as one body, and our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, okay, but before we do that, I want us to, I, I want to do a little exercise with you, okay? Um, I got to thinking about this and the way that Paul is trying he's circling back around to points that he's made in chapter one and chapter two so i want you to imagine paul not in a prison cell but tonight use your holy imagination to imagine him knocking on the door of a gentile brother and sister 
that he's really good friends with that he made when he was in Ephesus. And he's knocking on their door and they're expecting him and he comes in and he sits down at their dining room table um, and he is taking the tone of an older brother. He's a good friend, but also an older brother who loves them deeply and dearly. Um, picture this dining room table. There's a light over it. There's apple pie. There's some plates. There's coffee. And they're sharing, um, they're sharing together a treat. But Paul, that's, that's not the point. What they're doing, Paul is um, wanting desperately to give them something. They gave him some pie and coffee, and now they're in this cozy setting. And um, there's a lot of good smiles from Paul, but maybe the Gentile brother and sister are a little bit, like, hesitant. They're, like, a little bit confused and hesitant. Um they're trying to understand what it is there that he keeps telling them. And so he has come over to re-explain it tonight. He's like, I love you guys. I don't mind unpacking this one time again. Okay? Um, he, he wants to explain to them um, who sent him, why he was sent, and his heart of obedience and love for both God and for them. This scene tries to explain Paul's heart as he responsibly delivers God, God's mysterious plan and purpose, and for them um, that he sits across the table from. So not only is he trying to deliver this to the wider group, but also just to an individual. Um, and this mysterious plan and purpose is the revelation of grace and unity that, that has totally changed his life. Um, and this is what God has placed under Paul's stewardship. So he is carrying this big responsibility. It's, it's something that he carries with joy, but it's also something he takes very seriously. Um, so it's kind of like grace from, from God down to Paul, and now Paul is wanting to spread that grace outward to all who will listen to him, okay? So just kind of keep that, it's not how it happened, but it's the tone of what we're going to read tonight, um, and uh, Paul really does love this group of, of fellow believers, and he wants them really to understand, so he's going to say a lot of the things he's already said in chapter 1 and 2. Um, but maybe in a different way. So he's patiently circling back to make sure the Ephesians church is clear on the plan and purpose of God. That's what excellent teachers do. They explain something and then they kind of go on again and then they circle back around and they say it in a little bit different way. And, you know, because as students, we have to hear things differently or numerous times in order for it to really settle in and take, take root. So the major theme in this passage is the mystery of Christ, um, and that is a grace. It's not a mystery to be solved, but a mystery that is something to be revealed in order to receive. 
So what we're going to see is we're going to see two, two words several times. First of all, grace. Um, chapter 2, I mean, verse 2, uh, responsibility of extending his grace. Uh, verse 7, by God's grace and mighty power. Verse 8, um, though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously, which is grace, in some other translations, it just says, with grace. He gave me the privilege of saying this. But also, this idea of mystery. Uh, verse 3, we're going to see God himself revealed his mysterious plan. Uh, verse 4, uh, let's see. As you have read, I've written, you will understand my, my insight into this mysterious plan. And verse 9 uh, let's see. I was chosen to explain everyone this mysterious plan. Do you see? Paul does this real purposefully. He wants them to get this message. So as we go tonight, we're going to look, we are going to go looking at Paul's identity in Christ. And we're going to focus on who Paul became when the grace of Jesus grabbed hold of him. His story is unique but in that uniqueness, we also receive uh, the story that we also have new life when grace grabs hold of us. So um, it's not going to happen the way that it did with Paul or in the ways that it did with Paul. But the same grace is available to us and the same new life is available to us. So we're going to learn from him. Okay. <clears throat> Verse 1, <clears throat> it says, when I think of all... This, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, dot, dot, dot. At least that's what the New Living Translation does. I'm not sure if all the other translations do that. I have a dash. <clears throat> you have a dash, yeah, dash or dots. It's just like a pause. Yeah. He, like, gets started on a thought, and then it's like, wait. Because <laughs> he's saying, when I think about this. So what was he thinking about? All right, that's the very first of uh, verse 1. So when I think of all this, let's refer back to 21 and 22. What's he thinking of when I think about all this? Verse 22, through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by the Spirit. So he's thinking about the Gentiles. Hey, man. You're getting made into this holy temple too. God is living in you. Uh, he's being uh, we're this one body. So he's referring back to that. Um, all right. So Paul was, it says in verse 1, a prisoner of... Right. Christ Jesus. Did y'all get that? He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus? Wait, what? What do y'all think that means? He surrendered. Yeah. He surrendered to Jesus. Okay. Is he literally a prisoner of Jesus? Where is he literally a prisoner of? Like historically, he's actually a literal prisoner in Rome. Right. So... The Romans have him, um, and why was he originally imprisoned by the Romans? 
who is spreading the good news, okay? Um, in Acts, we see how his revelation on the road to Damascus, you know, apocalypsed his life, and instead of persecuting the church, he did the opposite. This act of grace triggered hostility and landed him as a prisoner of Nero. But theologically, he's a prisoner of Christ. How and why? Because Paul placed himself at Jesus' disposal to be used in whatever way possible to spread the gospel. So he's like, yeah, the Romans imprisoned me, but it's basically I put myself out there because I love Jesus and I was willing to be taken captive by Jesus. Um, so Paul was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That's one, his first identity that we see in verse 1. And at the end of each identity, we're going to ask ourselves a question and then um, kind of tie it back to grace. Can you say that of yourself? That you are a captive of the grace of Christ? That you've been captivated by the grace of Christ, hook, line, and sinker? That's just an interesting kind of thing to think about. Have I been captivated? Am I being held prisoner by Christ Jesus? Am I willing to do whatever he tells me to do? Like I am his slave, his servant. I am captive to him. It's something, it's kind of a, another way of using our imaginations to help us understand what Paul is talking about here. So for that last um, uh, uh, fill in the blank, we could say that grace made Paul a prisoner, and this is a, an example of us to what? It's just rephrasing that. To be made captive by God's grace. That's his example to us. Okay. So we see at verse 1, there's a dash or three dots. So he, he's kind of getting started. When I think of all this, I, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, he's about to pray for them. Okay? He's about to get into a prayer. But he is like, wait a minute. <laughs> Let me back up. And actually, um, Shelby is going to unpack this beautiful prayer. I'm kind of jealous because uh, verse 14 through 21, I believe, is just an incredible prayer for spiritual growth for the Gentiles. So we're going to take a, a, a big pause, and it's kind of like a side note. He's going to be, he's at the kitchen table. He's like, okay, I think I need to say this again a different way. Does that make sense? Um, okay, so let's read verses 2, 3, and 4. Uh, verse 2, assuming, okay, pause. Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to the Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. And as you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. I'm going to pause right there. So Paul was a steward, okay? Um, he was a steward of the grace of God in this mysterious plan, or he was responsible for it. Um, he is talking about the mystery now revealed to the Gentiles. Okay, so we know this by now. What is the mystery that he's revealing to the Gentiles? What is it? Their 
Yes, that they are also included in the bigger picture, the big, this new covenant that Jesus has come to create and to cut with humanity, the Gentiles are now welcome in. So he extends the grace of God to Gentiles and he pulls them into this unified humanity. And they're now included in the new covenant. They're part of God's family now. They are heirs together with Israel as one body sharing in the promise of Christ. This can't be overstated. This is huge. Um, and I think the Gentiles had a hard time really grasping the enormity of it. That, yeah, no, really, you're one of us now. I mean, you are gods. And it's even better than the way we had it. We all have it even better. Um, the English Standard Version um, in verse 2 says this, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Um, and I like that word a little bit better than responsibility because it has a weight to it. Do y'all know what a steward is or to steward something? How would you just define that? Okay. You're in charge. Um, a lot of times a steward as far as in a kingdom, um, if a king had to go off to battle or if a king had to visit a neighboring country, who did he leave in charge? He would leave a steward who would have the responsibility of the king while the king was away. Okay, so think about that in terms of the kingdom of heaven on earth. God has given Paul this stewardship of carrying this big responsibility. Jesus says, hey, I'm going away, but I'm leaving the Holy Spirit. And along with that, I'm stewarding you. Okay, I'm stewarding you with this message, the gospel message that everyone's invited in and that Jesus uh, paved the way for grace. Um, so Paul is sitting here at the dining room table and he hopes that his friends will gain insight into the mystery of Christ. Such knowledge was not even previously possible um, because the full truth of God's eternal plan had not yet been revealed. So God has been working on this plan since the beginning of time. And he set up the Jewish, uh, he set up Israel and he set up the law. But it was only in part. It was the old covenant and it was not able to draw all people to him. All along, everything from all through the Old Testament is pointing to the need for Jesus to come. And bring this new covenant that would bring all people in, okay? Um, this, what used to be a mystery is no longer a mystery. It's an open secret for all, okay? That's what Paul is saying here. All right, verse 5. Uh, God did not reveal it. This is what it was saying. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy prophet, prophets and apostles, so Paul is just saying that he was selected to declare um, the mystery as a result of God's grace and sovereign power. Um, the Jews had always thought that they were to remain separate from the Gentiles, okay? They kind of thought they were it. They were like the apple of God's eye. And even though they kept falling down and messing up all through the stories of the Old Testament, they kind of thought they were the elite crowd. And um, 
This is why Paul's association with the Gentiles aroused such opposition. There was such hostility. This is why they put him in prison. They're like, uh, no, we are like, this is, um, they didn't believe in Christ. And so because Paul was bringing such a big follow, uh, getting such a big following and having such impact on the people, they're like, we need to contain this, okay? Um, yeah, does that make sense? Any questions so far? Verses 1 through 5. Yeah, we're kind of laying the groundwork, kind of circling back around, okay? Um, this verse 2 through 5 passage circles back to the plan that we read in chapter 1, verse 10. Y'all flip back over there. 1, verse 10. Okay, this is where he initially... Um, states what the mystery is. And this is the plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and earth, everything and everyone under heaven and earth. He's going to do that, okay? So he's cycling back that the great mystery is that Jesus... and is that in Jesus, what's happening is God is putting the head back on the human race, okay? He's setting a new authority, and Jesus is the one who is basically, if you kind of think of him, reassembling a new humanity, like putting the puzzle pieces of this new global humanity, um, and Christ is going to be the head. Everything is now under the authority of Jesus at just the right time. The new humanity, it's a, like a new human. And Paul sees himself as the steward of explaining this great mystery to the Gentiles. He is a protector. He's a guardian. He's one who passes the mystery on to others so that they can know how to live in it. Okay? So let's pause for a sec. Okay? Here's our thought question. So if Paul is a steward... Um, we can also ask that of ourselves. What have we been made a steward of? What has great, what grace has God given us to pass on? And we may have a hard time, like at first glance, being like, you're not giving me any anything to pass on. Like, uh, I mean, Paul, I can't compare, but I don't want you to compare. I want you to think about the people in your life that you have something to pass on to. It might be, um, this is how grace is. It's given to us for others. We can have confidence that what God has revealed to us, we have to grace in that revelation to steward it for God's glory. Okay? So, um, we have things in our lives, so everything that we have been given, our relationships, our jobs, our um, finances, our um, talents and abilities, even our challenges have been given to us to steward in order to reveal how God is working <laughs> in that. Like, this is my big revelation. This is the mystery. 
you, we ought to, as apprentices of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, when people look at us to be like, man, their life is different. And then when they say, why, why do you act the way you act? Then you can reveal the great mystery. And you can say, it's the grace of Jesus. Do you know him? Like, he, like every, every bit of my life is for the, from the grace of God. And they'll be like, tell me more. Okay? <coughs> so uh, grace made Paul a steward, and the example to us is um, for us to pass on the grace that was given to us. Okay? In all its millions <coughs> of ways that grace comes to us. Does that make sense? Okay, let's go forward to verse, we're going to um, kind of skip <coughs> verse 8 and 9, and we're going to come back to it. Right now we're going to read 6 and 7, and then verse 10 and 11. So verse 6 and 7, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. And then verse 10. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Okay? So here we see that Paul was a minister. And what we're reading about is God's plan and purpose. Okay? There's two different things. And a lot of times I use those interchangeably, just in my brain, a plan and a purpose. Sometimes those get mixed up, but there's actually, there's actually, there's a difference between the two. And we're reading about both God's plan and purpose. So while purpose and plan are important, they serve different functions. And we're going to unpack that through these verses. In um, 3 verse 10, God's purpose, we see his big purpose is to get everyone to heaven. One body, one humanity, one church together so that he can display his wisdom to all the unseen rulers and authorities, okay? So this is what God wants to do. This is the purpose of sending Jesus. He wants to get everyone together so that he can, in the heavenly realms, we are his witness. The Jews and Gentiles together, imagine Palestine, Hamas, Israelites, all coming together in peace, can you imagine the witness that would be in the heavenly realm? I mean, like, imagine what would happen. Imagine waking up and turning on the news. I mean, that would, I mean, Jesus might as well come back, you know? I think Jesus is going to have to come back for that to happen. I don't know. But, I mean, that has been God's plan from the beginning, is that, hey, if we could get everyone, regardless of your ethnic background, regardless of your race, regardless of your background and what you have against each other and 
whose family you're in, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or whatever, you know, like you all come together. Think about what a witness that would be to the wisdom of God. Like, ah, see my purpose? Mm-hmm. I, now you're going to see my wisdom in the, all the heavenly realms. Evil will not, would not be able to avoid the perfect plan of God in this way. And it would be shut down. It would completely shut down evil if that were to happen. Okay, so a purpose provides the guiding vision and inspiration. It's like what it is that I want to do. All right, so a plan is how I'm going to do that. And God's plan was what? How was God going to do this? How did he, how did he do this? Verse 6, through who? Jesus. Through Jesus. That's exactly right. Jesus. Um, God's plan, both Jews and Gentiles who believe the good news share equally in the riches of, the, of inherited by God's children who believe in the good news. Who's the good news? Jesus. Right? So a plan provides the practical steps for how to achieve it. So God had this plan and a purpose. Um, and um, this is what Paul is trying to explain to the Gentiles. Paul clearly states that the secret plan, has Jesus has now been revealed. Jesus has made a way for the purpose. And actually, Jesus has been prophesied all the way through the Old Testament. They were saying, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming. They didn't really know how it was going to happen. You know, they were waiting for the Messiah. They were looking forward to it. And then now that the Messiah came, they don't see it. <laughs> and so that's what Paul is going, look, um, I'm revealing this mysterious plan. Jesus has made a way for the purpose so that Gentile believers could be included in God's universal plan of salvation with all the privilege and blessings that come from being a child of a king. So they get to have, um, be a part and share equally in the riches inherited by the Jews, by God's children. So they are made equal with their Jewish counterparts. Okay, so think about this, that today's time. Oh, think about this conflict. Like, okay, everyone come together and everyone's equal. Yeah, oh, the human heart rails against that. There is evil in the human heart who, who stands opposed to um, equality in this new humanity. Um, so uh, Paul spoke of this back um, in what um, uh, Anthony spoke on last night, um, that we are citizens along with all of God's holy people. Um, which lists the privileges that the Gentiles have received and emphasizing the equality, okay? Whew. So it's kind of a, like you can understand why these people groups are having some issues with accepting Jesus and kind of also then coming together in community. And you can kind of understand why Paul is having to write all these letters to all these different churches and kind of work out some conflict, 
You know, Ephesians is one of the letters that doesn't have a specific conflict that they're dealing with. But reading through the Bible plan, we've been reading, uh, we we read Galatians and Ephesians, and we're on Colossians. Are we on Colossians or Philippians? I think we're on Colossians. And, you know, what I'm noticing by doing that, I'm like, oh, Paul's saying the same thing through all of these letters in some form or fashion. Like his message is kind of the same. It just kind of depends on who he's talking to and what needs to be addressed. But it's very consistent. And that gives me peace to know, oh, okay, there is a very consistent and concise message here. And this is what we're, we're talking about. So because of God's plan and purpose, the Gentiles are now, according to um, verse 6, they are heirs together with the Jews, meaning that they share the same inheritance. Okay. Number two, they are members together of one body, and they have an equal relationship. And then number three, they share in the promise of blessing, and all of this because of Jesus. Okay, in verse 7, um, let's see. Did I already read? Yeah, I read verse 7. Paul makes sure, look at verse 7. Paul makes sure that they know he is not trying to get special privileges or is arrogant. But what is he calling himself? He is doing what? He's a servant. He's serving, okay? Um, he also acknowledges he didn't deserve this gift of a revelation. He didn't pick this. This is all grace from God. He was just trucking along the road of Damascus, and he fell off his horse or his donkey or his, he crashed his car. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but it was a gift of grace that he is trying to explain to them, given and received through God's power. All right? And this kind of plays out in um, this whole story in Acts 9. So this rules out Paul's any like personal ambition or qualification. He's just saying it's all grace, which is that is something for us to take to heart. Like, yes, I can relate to grace. <laughs> I can't relate necessarily to qualifications, but I can relate to grace. Like, yeah, give me some more of that, Paul. Um, remind us that everything is by, um, even the power of God that comes on him is just pure grace. It has n nothing to do with him being the right kind of person. Um, okay, let's read verse 8 and 9 now. Though, because this kind of relates to what I'm saying. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available for them in Christ. I, Paul, was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Okay, so he's just circling. He's circling. He's saying the same thing, but he's saying a little bit differently. And he's so patient and he's kind. Think of them. They're eating pie and they're like, tell me more. You know, he's like, do y'all understand? Let me say this again. Um, so Paul is number three. What does it say? He was a minister. Um, yes. So what are the prerequisite prerequisites? 
for serving Christ. Do I have a blank for that for y'all? Yes. Okay. What, do you have to go to school to be a minister? Do you have to go to school to be a servant, Daniel? No, you don't. So let's start in verse 9, and we're going we're gonna to go backward, okay? Number 1 in verse, verse 9, you have to be called. So Paul says, I was chosen. So to be a servant, you have to be called. There's a call of God on you. Number 2, verse 8 says, you have to have a humble recognition of God's grace. Paul says he graciously gave me the privilege of serving the Gentiles. Okay, check. We can do that. We, we can do that. We can acknowledge God's grace. We can, yeah, we can be called to do something by God. Number three, verse seven, um, another prerequisite is um, the blessing of God's power. Verse 7, by God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege, okay? All right, so we can be blessed with God's power, absolutely. And number 4, um, verse 6, what does Paul say? He says, um, I appreciate the blessings of wealth and gifts to be untamed in Christ, which are beyond human imagination. So he's just like, wow. Um, all these things are available. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing that's going to belong to Christ Jesus. So there's this appreciation of what has been given. I appreciate this inheritance that I get. So here's what I want you to see. To be a minister of Christ, to be a minister or to a prerequisite for serving Christ, the first three things God does. God calls you. God gives you grace, and God gives you his power. <laughs> so is it under our effort? No. The only thing we have to do to be a minister of God's grace is to appreciate what we've been given and to do that. I don't know about you, but that takes a lot of the, um, I don't know, a lot of the pressure off. Because I think when we start to walk with Jesus, and we realize, oh, there's things I want to do for God. Sometimes it can feel like, oh, I have to do this. And in the course of like everyday life, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, it, we almost get in a rut and we're like, got to go serve. You know, I, I'm just saying for me, y'all probably have never felt that way ever. <laughs> but I will admit um, it's like, sometimes you have to like psych yourself up. It's like, okay, you know, and then it gets twisted. The enemy will do weird things with your head and you're like, oh, I've got to do this and I have to do this or I want to do this. I want to serve you. And it, it, all of a sudden it messes with your motive and it messes. And then, or if you do a good job, at what it is you're serving, you're like, you know, like all of a sudden you forget, oh, God called you, God gave you the power, God gave you the grace, and you're not appreciating it anymore. You're like leaning on your own understanding and like, okay, I've got it from here. You called me and you empowered me, but I got it from here. You know what I mean? It can go the other way. 
And so I think what the lesson is, is just, just like Paul, this incredible minister of the gospel, he's just telling them, look, um, <laughs> I know why I'm here. And it has nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with God. And when we approach and see, like, oh, yeah, we have been called to be ministers. Well, I can do that if I'm willing to receive what God wants to give me and then appreciate those gifts and then just steward them to the best of my ability, kind of keeping a check on our hearts as we go. Does that make sense? Do you all see that from the text here? So... Um, um, do you consider yourself a minister? This is something, this is kind of like the, the thought question. Um, I just want you to understand that something happens in the heavenly realm. We're seeing it right here in verse 10. Something happens in the heavenly realm when the gospel is spoken out and witnessed. Not only by physical people on earth, but by all the heavenly beings. In the spiritual world, earthly and spiritual, when you um, reveal what God has revealed to you, hey, this is something I learned in this verse. Hey, I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me to be kind to this person. Hey, I, you know, whatever it might be, like I'm stewarding, okay, I'm doing the laundry today. Like it can be as mundane as that, like, but I'm going to steward that, like, I feel like I need to do this with integrity and like I'm ministering to my family. Like you are a witness to this mystery that God um, is revealing to Paul to reveal. Like we've been included in this family. We are living a different way. We are, um, and we bring the mystery to light to those with whom we live. We're revealing, we're apocalypsing everyone around us. We're unveiling, the veil has been taken off and we're saying, look. So um, I just want you to know that you are a minister of God's grace. You have been called, you have been empowered and you have been graced with that. And it's something that, that we need to steward it well. So grace made Paul a minister and the example to us in that is that we hear God's call, we recognize his grace, and we receive his power. Those three things, okay? Well, and we appreciate it. Grace can make you a minister as well. All right. Um, let's go back to verse 8 and 9. I'm not going to read them again. But here we see that... He was a minister, but he was also the least. And, and these last two um, points are going to be made very quickly. Um, Paul was the least of these, is what he calls himself. So does this mean that Paul was suffering from a poor self-image? Like, oh, I'm just a little guy here in prison doing my thing? Absolutely not. And remember who Paul was. He was a leader in the, of the Jewish Pharisees. I mean, he probably came from a wealthy background. Um, Shelby knows all about his background. So I, I, I think that's what Shelby shared with us from Paul in the beginning. Paul was confident enough in his abilities that he was in a place of influence to try and wipe out the church before when he was Saul, okay? 
But um, grace healed him. And when grace grabs hold of us, we can see ourselves of what we are apart from grace. And we can't help but throw ourselves back onto grace all the more. Does that make sense? So Paul constantly is remembering where he came from and understands like he's seeing himself apart from grace and he's like, oh, without grace. And so he throws himself onto grace all the more. So, and this is how God uses. This is, this is the God of the Bible. He's always using the least of these. He's always using the little. It's the way of the upside down kingdom. The mustard seed. Um, think of some little things. Come to me, little children. Um, think of David. You know, he was the youngest brother. He was out in a field, and yet God exalted him. I mean, there's all of these metaphor, people and metaphors that kind of show that God is always about using the things that are little in our eyes to make him big and put us not to denigrate us, but to put us in our rightful place so that we can live our best lives. Um, Saul, <laughs> who thought he was all that and big in his estimation, was renamed by God into Paul, which in Greek, guess what it means? Little. Paul in Greek means little. Grace helped Paul be small, and then through small Paul, Grace did a mighty work. <laughs> <laughs> So the big question here is, how has grace, grace healed you? These are just questions to take home and think about. What areas of your life do you need to become small in order to then throw yourself back on grace? So grace made Paul the least, and the example to us is that this helps us understand God's mysterious ways in the world. And it also rescues us from ourselves. Right? Yeah. Okay, the last three verses. Verse 10 and 12. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety, all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So Paul says this is what God revealed to him. God's purpose was to use the church to display the beauty of his wisdom. And the church, as the centerpiece of God's plan of salvation, reflects the wisdom of God. So God's plan is the means which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, So there we go again. He's circling back around. Um. So how can we approach, because of God's good purpose and plan of Jesus, we get to come into God's presence. How? Verse 12. Boldness and confidence. Ah, oh, you guys, that's good news. That is such good news. We do not have to slink into God's presence. We do not have to hide from God's presence. We do not have to feel like we have to earn our way, earn a ticket into God's presence, buy our way in, serve our way in, minister our way in. You know, 
we get to, we, we are in his family. We've been chosen and adopted. We have an inheritance, which means we have a right to be in his presence because, because of Jesus, not because of our rights, but because of Jesus. We get to go boldly and confidently into it. And where does his presence dwell now? In us. So we need to access that as often as we humanly possibly can. It would be to our benefit. Don't forget the presence of God is right with you every minute of every day. All right, number five, last one, Paul was a sufferer. Verse 13, so please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, and you should feel honored. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm just glad I'm not in prison. I mean, um, I'm glad I don't have to do that. But Paul, to Paul, he, he chose it. I mean, he was a willing captive in a way. Um, suspecting, and here Paul was kind of thinking that being a prisoner might dampen his reader's spirit, so he urges them not to be discouraged um, by his suffering, which is normal for all believers. <laughs> we can expect suffering. It's just part and parcel of being human. His suffering is to be expected because others will refuse to believe the glorious revelation God has given him uh, for them. That's kind of why he is in this suffering place. Um, but grace enabled Paul to bear up under the tribulation, and grace enables us to do the same. In Colossians 1.24, it said, uh, Paul is telling the Colossians church, now I rejoice in my suffering um, because it leads to the redemption of others. And so he was like, I'm glad I'm suffering because this means I get to tell my story to you and I get to encourage you. Does that make sense? And so the question we end with is where are you suffering? For Jesus. And because grace made Paul a sufferer, the example to us is there is grace to be had in our suffering. And we can lean into that and receive God's grace when we are in a place of suffering. And that's good news, too. Each one of these, each one of these identities is great news, not only for Paul, but for us, too, as we look at the example that he left for us. Any questions? Any comments? I have a comment. Sure. It's not really a question. Um, in reading that, it's just my mind, and I'm very visual and I picture things. And in talking about his his suffering, grace made Paul suffer. An example to us would be an encouragement or joy. Mm -hmm. So I visualize a joy level. When everyone else sees the suffering, they see the outward exterior of what would be suffrage. We are in that palm of his hand and we experience joy. So we get that protection that keeps us from that depression and the, um, Despair. the oppression mm -hmm. that the world thinks that we are living, walking through. So it's really not bondage. It's a choice of a decision. It's just, I'm going to be I'm going to count it all joy. I mean, because they're joyful. I'm going to Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good visual. I love it. I love that. It's very, very true. And he was setting them an example in, in this by, by including 
his thoughts on his own suffering. He's like, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm, I count it all joy. I rejoice. Anything else? So uh, Shelby is going to be um, leading us through this beautiful prayer. If you want to memorize any of Ephesians, this prayer would be a really good one because then you can pray it over people. You can pray it for yourself. I mean, oh, it's powerful. Um, I, I, I'm kind of hoping that Shelby will put it to music, maybe write a worship song out of it. <laughs> um, and then we end the first part of Ephesians next week. Well, we're halfway done already. I know. And this is like the theological stuff. You know, you can hear Paul like wrapping it up. And then he's going to pray for them. And then verse, I mean, chapter 4, 5, and 6, super practical. Okay? Practical application on how to now live in this new reality. All right? It's going to be good. Really good stuff. So, um, all right. Uh, Anthony, you want to pray for us? Yeah. Father, we just want to thank you for this opportunity to come together as a, a family, as a group of people, uh, to do life together, to spend time in your word, and to just uh, take what you've given to us, uh, Father, through this passage. And I just pray, even as we've heard your word this uh, evening, that um, even as we're driving home, and even as we uh, go to bed tonight, and we wake up, that um, Holy Spirit, that you would just remind us, and that you would uh, help us to... Uh, just see our life in it, Father, and just how uh, we uh, can apply this in our life and how we can see ourselves in this in this situation. And Father, I pray that you would just uh, give us opportunities to put this into practice in our heart and in our life and that this will start to uh, take root and um, and start to grow into a, a beautiful thing in our hearts and in our lives. Father, I pray that you bless each person. I pray that you 